0: part of a church community for any length of time, it's likely you are already aware of some of the biblical do's and don'ts about sex, especially the don'ts. But what we don't seem to always understand is the beauty of the why. Why God's Word says what it says about sexuality, and why what is said is meant to be a blessing for our lives. I don't think we really truly understand that sometimes. I don't think it gets communicated But I'm convinced the better we understand our Creator's plan for human sexuality, the less we will settle for second, third, and fourth best, which I'll also say usually results in some kind of bondage in our lives. My hope is today, as we continue our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and sexuality, is that we will become so captivated by God's sacred design— that we will have an overwhelming desire to surrender our plans for his and experience the freedom and joy that come as a result. That really is my hope today. And I actually was considering this message because I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about sex. Like birds and bees is not a conversation I had. That's nice, right? So now it's funny I get to preach on that. Congratulations. You get to hear that this morning. <laughs> so if, you're, if you have your Bibles... Hey, I hope you've got God's Word with you today. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Mark. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. What I'm going to do is read the first eight verses, and then I'm going to cover verses 14 through 23. And I'm going to be in the New Living Translation today, so maybe a little bit different than maybe what you've got in your hand, but it, it'll be on the screen behind me. Yep, it's there. And so here's what Mark writes. Mark writes. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They notice that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Much like many junior high boys, right? (laughs) Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, may we be careful about that. May we not come on a Sunday morning and honor the Lord with our lips and then go about our own ways, right? Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then Jesus called to the crowd and to come in here. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you or you're defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off last week with a message on Jesus and singleness. Uh, We've basically kind of been in a a mini-series within our, our Better Together series with messages on women... Marriage, singleness, and and now sexuality. And within these four messages, we've seen how important women are in the kingdom of God, serving as moms, leaders, teachers, deacons, apostles, and prophets. Isn't that awesome? I love that. We've seen how God invented marriage and how our marriage serves as a witness to others. So your marriage is a witness. The question is, what kind of witness is it? It's meant to be a witness of how much love Jesus has for us. And then we've discovered how important singles are and their ability to live wholeheartedly in the kingdom of God. And now today what we want to do is we want to better understand our creator's plan for human sexuality. But I think the best place to start is first discovering where our current views of sexuality come from. I really felt like we needed to start there first. Where have we been influenced in the way that we think about this? And when we look into it, here's what we find out, that our current cultural views regarding human sexuality, actually originate from a much deeper and wider understanding of what it means to be a self. This is where our views come from. That self involves an understanding of what the purpose of our lives is, it defines what a good and happy life is, and it's how we understand ourselves in relation to others and the world around us. We've been influenced by this. While sex may be presented today as little more than a recreational activity, Sexuality, in our time, is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. The issue today is not as much about sex as activity, although it's there too, but it's mostly about sexuality as identity. And this is a profound claim. It's actually unprecedented in history. But where does it come from? Some have thought that it originates from the sexual revolution of the early 1960s, but it actually goes back much further than that. It actually emerges from the Romantic era of the late 18th century with thinkers like Rousseau, who taught that we have our own way, we all, each one of us, has our own way of realizing humanity, and that it's important for each of us to find it and live it out. Does that sound like thinking today? We all have our own view, we're supposed to find it and live it out, instead of surrendering to or conforming to a model that's imposed on us from the outside, be that from society, from previous generations, or religious or political institutions. So this goes way back in terms of where this thinking comes from. Our society's views on sexuality are tied to the value of expressing yourself as an individual, which goes back actually a couple hundred years. So this isn't new thinking, folks. It's been around for a while. This thinking, what happens, is it then gets pushed forward by people like Sigmund Freud who promoted the idea that humans from infancy onward are at their core sexual beings. That it's our sexual desires that ultimately are decisive for who we are. So think about now, we choose our own way, our, our sexual being is, is really what's most important, so those things start to be combined, and so this is why then sexual identity becomes the ultimate form of self-expression, that not even a person's biology can define who they are. A person, according to our society, is defined from what's within. You've heard this, right? Absolutely. This is where a statement like, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, that's where a statement like that can come from. Because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense biologically, but when you think about the, the state of the world and, and a couple of hundred years of thinking, that's how that can happen. And let me say, if you're here in person or joining us online today, and this is something you're dealing with. I'm not making fun of that statement, I'm simply pointing out it's something we hear today that would not have been heard 30 years ago. It's different. So if this is something you're thinking about, uh, let me say, we're glad that you're here. This is a great place to figure out who you are. Right? Absolutely. So what philosophers have pointed out is that there's two main ways of looking at the world. This is really important for us. That one way is that the world has a given order and meaning and it's upon us as humans to discover that meaning and conform ourselves to it. That's one way of looking at the world. But here's another way. Another way of viewing the world is that the world is made up of raw material out of which meaning and purpose can be created by the individual. Two very different ways of looking. Western society, it's been moving away from the first idea, so it's really it was started there, that the world has given order and meaning and we discover it, to where now it's no, we have this raw material that we can take and create our own meaning from. You see the difference? That's what we've been moving toward. There's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, The development of the automobile and the airplane, it shattered the previous authority of geographical spaces. It really wasn't that long ago where meaning and purpose was found in where you were brought up and raised, whereas now it's about where you can travel to, right? That's not that long ago. Uh, When I think about it, we've we've talked with our kids about, about television, like we had to conform to whatever uh, the, the, the networks and how they, they did their TV shows, right? Like, if, I remember growing up and on Friday night our, our family would watch TGIF, Full House and Family Matters. Like, does anybody know those shows? Okay, so, like, but for us to watch those, we had to conform to when they were played, right? Unless you had a VCR, you could record it. Like, that was new technology. But really, that's very different today. We're now streaming services. You can watch whatever you want, whenever you want, and create your own meaning. Does that make sense? Like, that's where we're at today. So technology and a number of other factors have caused society to view the world in a very different way. We live in a world where it's increasingly easy to actually imagine reality. Uh, I was thinking about my kids yesterday playing on a, a virtual reality headset. Like, you create your own reality. Isn't that interesting? So reality, it appears, is something we can manipulate according to our wills and desires, not as something we necessarily need to discover to conform to or passively accept. Our current opportunities to imagine reality, it reinforces claims made by people like Frederick Nietzsche, who would say that human beings are called to transcend themselves, to make their lives works of art, to take the place of God as self-creators and inventors, not as the discoverers of meaning. Is this making sense? This has been embedded in our society for a long time. Now consider all this as it might relate to a society... Or a religious institution that appears to uh, to be built upon what would be labeled as repressive sexual codes, and that maintains a marriage is between a man and a woman as the norm. So, if that's where we're at, but this is where society is, as long as this holds, many in our culture would say, it seems there can be no true liberation in life; that a person's true identity can never be found. So shattering sexual codes, it becomes the primary task for those who believe expressing yourself as an individual is what makes you truly human, especially as a sexual being. Because to be sexually inactive, according to this line of thinking, is to be a less than whole person, to be unfulfilled, or even weird. So that's where we're at today. And I know some would look at our world today, and they would just wish we could go back to better days. I've heard that. But I guess I'd like to challenge that line of thinking this morning. Because I'd like to know exactly what past times were better than the present. Was it before antibiotics? When childbirth or even minor cuts might lead to septicemia and death? Was that a good time? Was it the great days of the 19th century when the church was culturally powerful and marriage was between one one man and one woman for life but children worked in factories and swept chimneys? Was that better? Or perhaps the Great Depression the Second World War, the era of Vietnam. You can probably tell by now the whole idea of a lost golden age seems a bit like a farce to me. I think we have the propensity to look back on most things through rose-colored glasses. Every age, I want to be clear here, every age has had its darkness and dangers. Every age. And so then the task for believers is not to whine about the moment in which we live, but to understand the problems we're facing and respond appropriately to them. That's always been upon us. Always. Our current views of sexuality have been shaped over the course of hundreds of years. It's not something that changed overnight or just in the course of several decades even. It all comes from a broader change in how self was understood. Something shaped by developments in technology, philosophy, and politics. So now with a brief understanding, and let me say, this is brief. Every one of these conversations about Jesus and women, Jesus and sexuality, like they could be four-hour conversations, at least. So I'm trying to reduce it to the bare minimum. So I would actually say even within this, if you've got further questions on any one of these, and some of you have been great to do this, just email and ask. I'm happy to point you toward resources where you can do your own self-study on this stuff because we need to be firm on these things. It's really important for us to be better together. We need to know first who we are together, right? That's what this whole series is about. So I encourage you to do that. But with a brief understanding of where our society's view on sexuality has come from, I want us to take a look at our creator's plan for sexuality. Answering that question, what is our creator's plan for human sexuality? And really, I'll say this, I already really shared God's plan in the message on Jesus and marriage, so if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. You can find it at connectionpointchurch.org, it's on our iTunes podcast, because I do repeat some things, but I don't repeat everything. So these two messages really go hand in hand, and I'd encourage you to listen to it. But what I shared in that message is that God made men and women in the image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because here's what we find in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God then creates Adam and Eve. He blesses them and commands them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's Genesis. So Adam and Eve in marriage, they're to come together as one flesh to reflect the mystery of the Trinity, to display how multiples of different can come together to equal one. That's a big part of marriage, that two genders coming together to image the Trinity where there's diversity, yet unity arising out of that diversity. That's a big part of what we're doing in marriage. And within that marriage union, sexual intimacy is meant to be experienced and expressed so that at its best... Marriage might give us a taste of God's passionate, sacrificial, and unconditional love. So it's meant to give us a taste of it. God created sex and marriage to give us a glimpse of his desire for intimacy with us. God wants a personal relationship with you. Man, and if you're not wowed by that, that's incredible. Your creator wants that kind of intimate personal relationship with you. But God then also gave us sex so that we might be co-creators with him and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this desire to create, it comes from God, but we were never meant to be our own creators. We were meant to be co-creators with God, differently than what Nietzsche would claim. So God created sex and marriage to give us a glimpse of what it means to be united with Christ. Marriage is a one-body experience where a man and a woman, they come together in a spiritual, one-flesh reality, illustrated in the act of sexual intimacy, and manifested by the combining of two parents' DNA into each child. Isn't that interesting? That's what God was doing there. And then God creates parenthood to show us how he loves his children. God does this to give us a taste of our spiritual realities. But now, what about those who are single, who don't experience some of these things, maybe marriage and and parenthood? Does that mean they can't experience the intimacy and love that God has for them? And I think this is important, considering we talked last week about how vital singles are in the kingdom of God. That we live in this world where where sexual and romantic fulfillment, they're paraded as as ultimate goods, like that's what you have to achieve. That to miss out on sex, we're told, is to miss out on life. I've already mentioned that that's kind of our, our view today. But as followers of Jesus, I want you to think about this example. Missing marriage and gaining Christ it's like missing out on playing with dolls as a child but growing up to have a real baby. Okay, no comparison, right? Who wants to play with a doll when you can have a real baby? That's the difference between the taste we have in marriage but the reality we have in Jesus. What a profound relationship that when we are fully enjoying the ultimate relationship offered us by our creator, we don't need to lament the loss of something lesser. Why would we do that? In fact, even if you are married, human marriage should still leave you longing for more. It should leave you longing for more, that a longing that pushes us ever closer to Jesus, the most true and authentic relationship that we'll ever have. So whether married or single, our sexuality points to the love that God has for us. And we also find in Genesis that after Eve was created, here's what Scripture says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's what it says, that God's view on sexuality, it's actually pretty straightforward. The scripture basically says, sex is beautiful when it's expressed within certain boundaries, but it can otherwise be dehumanizing and even brutal expressed outside of these boundaries. That's God's view. That answers the question for this point. And I know this is both simple and controversial, but can I say it's always been? It's always been. Although our current views of sexuality have been shaped over the past 200 years, God's straightforward view on sexuality, it's always been controversial. Let's go back 2,000 years. The early church's approach to sexuality ran completely against the grain of Roman culture. Opposite directions. Roman men, they had sex with everybody. Like, do a little bit of history search. It's kind of gross. They had sex with their slaves and with prostitutes, male and female alike. A Roman man was not in any way expected to be sexually faithful to his wife. In fact, a Roman man typically only had sex with his wife if he's trying to produce an heir. There's a lot of history there. But now compare that with Christianity, where in Scripture it actually says, husbands have a responsibility to give their wives their sexual rights. Did you know that? Don't believe me? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's what it says. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Oh, that's very different than the Roman culture, right? Absolutely different. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's in Scripture. This passage says, a wife has needs, and those needs are legitimate. And then it says, men should exercise self-control and live with their wives with consideration. Many scholars, they consider this to be the most radical thing ever written about sexuality in the ancient world. It's unheard of. This approach to sexuality ran completely against the grain of Roman culture. And the understanding that sexuality is given by God to give us a taste of the kind of intimate relationship he desires to have with us, and that sexuality is best and most holistically expressed within certain boundaries, it's countercultural today. We know it is. But I think it's important we understand our Creator lays this out for us because He knows sexuality not expressed in the right way it leads to problems. Most of us know this. And just as any good parent hopes to help their kids avoid problems and pain, you'd better believe your Heavenly Father wants you to as well. He really does. So then the question is, well, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of not following our Creator's plan? From our passage this morning, we see that Jesus considers anything outside of God's plan to lead toward what He calls defilement. Reading again from Mark chapter 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They are what defile a person. And so the word behind what we've translated as sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. It's a catch-all term for any sexual activity outside of marriage, whether it's incest, bestiality, fornication, or homosexuality. It's all covered. In this passage, Jesus addresses every form of sexual immorality outside of one man and one woman for life in a marriage relationship. And so what's the consequence? Jesus says defilement, which leads to a decreased capacity for fellowship with God. And this is a pretty stiff consequence, considering our relationship with God. It's the only relationship— that has a potential to save us for all of eternity. So that's stiff. Jesus tells us the source of true defilement in people, it's in the human heart. And it reaches fulfillment in our desire for evil. And this kind of evil, it takes root in every human heart. So let me say, we're talking to everybody this morning. I'm talking to myself as I was going through this message. It's in all of us. We all have an open rebellion against God. We have to choose otherwise. And then we find other consequences in Scripture as well. Reading from Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God. So, Paul, a follower of Jesus, he's writing the believers in Rome. And what he says is they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, here's what Paul is saying that we have access to God, that God basically builds us with this God-shaped hole that can only be filled by him. But for whatever reason, we want to pursue all these other things to try to fill it, but nothing ever does. This is what Paul is talking about. And he says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So for whatever reason, like, we as humans have this natural propensity to worship ourselves, to worship others like sports figures and movie stars, as opposed to the creator who made it all. We all have this propensity. And then he says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature." And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Okay, that's a weighty passage. Because what it's saying is, there's a consequence for not following our Creator's plan. That eventually, He gives us up to a debased mind, it says in Scripture. That we begin thinking that what we are doing is natural and right. And so then we also give approval to others who practice the same things. That's dangerous. If given over to our own thinking, we then consider oppressive all those who would hold to God's view regarding sexuality. So, I think a good place for us to start today, a place of self examination, is if you're struggling to agree with our Creator's plan for sexuality, you actually might be in the middle of this consequence right now. That's what Scripture would say. But here's the thing we do not want God giving us up to what we desire. We don't want that. But instead, to continue to encourage us by His Spirit to compel us to live according to His good design. We don't want God to give us up to our own thinking. We want to align our thoughts with his. We can't go to our creator and out of rebellion say, this is who I am. Why would we do that? Like some might say that this world is made up of raw materials out of which I can create meaning and purpose. No, we should instead go to our creator and ask, God, who am I? Who have you made me to be? You are my creator and help me discover the meaning and purpose you have for my life, the good works you've prepared for me. Folks, if you're familiar with scripture, he says you are his masterpiece, which means he didn't screw up. You don't have to find your own meaning. He already has it for you. What frustrates me with our culture today is the lies that people have bought into. You don't have to create your own. God already has it. And then we get to just journey with him in excitement and discover what it is he has, who he's made us to be. Your creator has the answer. And I want us to think this morning, there's not only spiritual consequences for not following our Creator's plan for sexuality, but there's physical, emotional, and social consequences as well. Like, it's not hard to look at this. You know, some rather obvious physical consequences of not following God's plan are sexually transmitted diseases. You want to avoid STDs? Follow God's plan. Another physical consequence can be the inability to have regular intimacy with your spouse, Studies have shown people that are addicted to pornography, which comes from that Greek word pornea that Jesus uses, that people are addicted to they have an incredibly negative impact on marriage relationships or any relationships. We know this. It decreases satisfaction in relationships and can, in some cases, cause a spouse to not be able to be intimate. It creates challenges. There's a pastor friend of mine, he was counseling a couple because they had gotten married, and the young man, you know, he, he did not have sex before marriage, but unfortunately, he had a pornography addiction. And so on his wedding night, in his own admission, he said, honestly, we couldn't be together on my wedding night because of that addiction. That's a problem. That's not God's plan, right? It's Sex is beautiful in the right space. That's God's intent. But not only are there physical consequences, there are emotional consequences as well. Most of us intuitively know sex is more than mere recreation, however casually we might want to treat it. Sexual intimacy, it's literally a bonding agent meant for a marriage relationship. Neurologists have shown this. Oxytocin, it's released in a person's brain during sex, which is a hormone responsible in part for creating feelings of closeness and bonding. Like, God did that. He did that. He wanted you to be able to come together, two as one. The problem is, if that relationship is is then broken, either because of divorce or because you were never really committed to one another, that breakup is felt much more deeply. Emotional wounds usually follow. And the consequences for not following our Creator's plan, they're they're spiritual, physical, emotional, and they're social too. Most people today, they see cohabitation as a wise precaution against future divorce. But if you look at any studies, data says otherwise, that a number of studies have been done. They've shown people who live together before they marry, they're actually more likely to divorce than those who did not. And I would say this on all of these. Again, I want to reiterate If you want source of information for these, it's all footnoted. I'm happy to share that with you. I want you to look into this for yourself. You can believe me, but don't believe me. Look into it yourself and see what you find. We know that there's consequences if we don't follow God's plan. Spiritual, physical, emotional, and social. But here's the good news. There are wonderful benefits for following our Creator's plan. And that's the question, what are the benefits? Okay, the real easy answer is basically the opposite of everything we just talked about, right? That's the simplest answer. If you follow God's plan for sexuality, you can avoid a lot of spiritual, physical, emotional, and social problems and pain. Now, obviously, there's other factors that could lead to some of those issues, but overall, God lays out His best for our lives in Scripture. He lays out His best for everything, by the way, not just in marriage and relationships and everything else, but He's laying out His best. And so, if we're willing to surrender to God's plan for sexuality, we can enjoy stronger bonds in marriage, avoid sexually transmitted diseases, be more emotionally healthy and socially stable. That's a real simple answer. Jesus shares the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What did he do? He came that we can have life abundant. So Jesus means to lead us toward a fully alive life in every way, in every way, whereas our enemy desires to destroy our lives. The enemy's path isn't a good one. We know this to be true. There was a study done at Harvard some years ago, in which subjects were allowed to choose a print from a selection of beautiful paintings. So they were allowed to select it. And those who were told they could change their minds, they ended up less satisfied with their prints than those who made clear choices. This and many similar studies have shown that commitment, not unlimited choice, breeds happiness. Did you know that? There have been lots of studies on this. Commitment leads to greater happiness than unlimited choices. Hey, our culture doesn't abide by that, right? Like, you go to Walmart, there's like five billion tons of toothpaste, right? Like, it's mind-boggling. It's like, then I just go shop at Aldi and like, okay, I'll take that one, you know? Like, it's it's a challenge. And I mention this here because this helps to illuminate the benefits of sexuality expressed in marriage over either a switching between sexual partners or a semi-committed cohabitation. Our willingness to make a commitment to live for Jesus and to follow his plan for human sexuality actually leads to greater happiness than the sexual liberation others in our culture might push for. We know this to be true. The interesting thing about this is that many might claim following God's plan for sexuality it seems oppressive, but in the end, it's actually the pursuit of sexuality outside of our creator's plan that winds up taking us captive. It's the opposite of what people would think. Scripture tells us it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that we've been set free so we would no longer engage in the evil things that bind us and honestly ruin our lives. So, why would we choose bondage over the freedom that Jesus offers us? I think sometimes it's because we've allowed ourselves to be shaped by our culture instead of the kingdom of God. And so, that's the final question I want to answer this morning. Will we be shaped? We all need to answer this question. Will we be shaped more by the culture in which we live? Or will we live freely in the kingdom of God? We all have to make that decision. Out of love, God gave us a free will to decide how we would live our lives. And he, because of love, can't force us to love him or choose his way. We can live a hellish existence in this life and face a hellbound eternity thereafter. Or we can be liberated to live a fully alive life now and be granted a heavenly reality. But make no mistake, I will say this, surrender is required. We know this, surrendering to God's plan is required. Instead of trying to create our own meaning and purpose in life, we must be willing to discover God's perfect plan for our lives and then live it out. Because there's a huge difference between believing in God and believing God. Do you understand there's a difference? I know there's a lot of people who believe in God, but if we believe God, we'll take him at his word. So are you just believing in God today, or do you actually believe God, that what he says is true, that what he says is in your best interest? In this life, I want to be clear, you're going to serve something. It's Jesus or something else. You get to choose what you serve. And I just figure if I'm going to serve anything, I prefer to serve Jesus because at least he laid down his life for me. So I'm pretty sure he's got my best interest in mind. I don't care to serve anything else in this life except Jesus. But now, what about the feelings that you might have for another person? Or, or more specifically this morning, because I said I wanted to come back to this in the message that I shared on marriage. That maybe some were wondering this morning, but what do I do with the feelings I have toward a person of same-sex? Because we addressed that in the other marriage, in the other message. And I shared before, God can meet you there. God can meet you there. To be human is to have disordered sexuality. I want to say that again. To be human is to have disordered sexuality. You do, I do, everybody does. And here's what I mean by that. We all have some manner of sexual drive that compels us to disobey God's design for sexuality. All of us. That's not unique to certain people. We are all tempted, but what we do with that temptation is what matters. It is really no more costly or sacrificial for a single person not to have sex with someone than it is for a married person to be faithful and not visit strip clubs and prostitutes. And let me say this, or for that manner, for a person not to steal another's property or slander someone's good name. It's all the same. We're all tempted. What do we do with that temptation? Scripture tells us Jesus was tempted in all ways, as we are, but that he did not sin. Sexual sin is giving in to the desire in either our mind or our body. Jesus doesn't extend it just to the act. He says, what are you thinking about? We cannot avoid temptation, but we can avoid sin with the help of the Holy Spirit. You understand that this morning? That's just that's part of human nature. There are people here, people that I know tune in online, they may have a same-sex attraction. We know that, but we also know God's in the business of transformation. Yeah. He is. Paul, a follower of Jesus, writes, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. We all are promised that, no matter what our issues are. Jesus offers all of us the ability to become new. There's lots of amazing stories of people who have same-sex attraction who have become new at a a website called changemovement.com. I just wanna share one of those stories this morning. So one of them comes from Maria Barton who writes, when I reflect on my early life, I don't remember a time when I wasn't attracted to women. I was born in Russia in 1997 and adopted into an American family in 1998. As a child, I was always drawn to the women around me teachers, friends, even strangers. Then, when I was 10, a friend introduced me to porn for the first time. Already aware of my same sex attraction, pornography only fueled my lustful desires, leaving me stuck in a trap of guilt, shame, and confusion for the next 13 years. I was completely lost, lonely, and scared, but I hid behind a mask. Fake it till you make it was my motto. Even though I grew up in a Christian home and attended church, I didn't take Jesus seriously. I went along mostly for the social aspects of church. It was just another place to meet girls. But a battle was constantly raging inside my head. The inner turmoil and the unhealthy codependent relationships I cycled in and out of left me feeling bound, oppressed, and depressed. I hated who I was and who I was becoming, and I hated God. I believed that He had made me this way, so I didn't understand why He would let me face such intense struggle. Life was so exhausting that at one point I even became suicidal. Tired of living a double life, I finally came out to my family during Pride Week 2016. Ironically, things in my life began to shift that same month. After I'd come out to my family, I traveled to visit a good friend who happened to be on fire for the Lord. She had no idea that I struggled with same-sex attraction, much less that I was out as a lesbian. On day two of my trip, she became ill and ended up in the emergency room. All of our plans for the week were canceled, but God had better plans. As I watched her Christ-like relationship with her boyfriend— and began to pour over her collection of Bibles. I want you to catch that, her relationship with her boyfriend. Relationships are a witness to the world. They are. The Lord began to speak to my heart. One night I heard him whisper that my husband was waiting, and for the first time in my life, I felt a desire for marriage to a man. I prayed the most honest prayer I'd ever prayed that night, and God answered, change was possible. In the year that followed, I felt strong conviction that I was walking down a road that led to nowhere good. Then in November of 2017, about a year after I'd come out to my family, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. Though I was truly now following God, I continued to struggle with same-sex desires until May of 2020. So you hear, here in the journey? It's a journey. It's not a moment. It's a journey with Jesus. And the question is, will you stay in the game even when it's hard? That's when I experience a deeper level of deliverance, freedom, and surrender. I'm thankful for mentors and friends who have walked with me and encouraged me along the way. In addition to christian counseling books like gay girl good god by jackie hill perry and covenant eyes porn accountability software were instrumental in helping me find lasting freedom life is is fantastic today i'm living in full freedom and have never felt better my mind is clear and peaceful and i'm enjoying exploring my femininity a senior at my university i speak both truth and love and share my testimony with everyone i meet i continue to reach out and involve myself with groups that promote freedom from sexual sin and same-sex attraction in the future I hope to start a ministry to help those who struggle with sexual sin find redemption and healing. Ladies and gentlemen, God changes lives. He changes lives. But the question for all of us is do we want that change? And Jesus would ask the people who are going to be healed sometimes. There's stories where Jesus is, is walking along and he asks somebody, Do you want to be healed? Isn't that an interesting question? There's a lot behind that question, but that's what we all have to ask ourselves. Do we want to be the new creation we're offered in Christ? So no matter what you're dealing with today in regards to your sexuality, I want you to know God can meet you there. He can. Our culture wants to identify people by their sexuality, but to do so is to reduce people to their sexuality. But can I tell you this morning, we are all so much more. You are made in the image of God. We're not just defined by our sexuality. God loves you as you are, and he loves you enough to not leave you that way. That's the tension we have in Jesus. We've, we've had this question. Well, does God receive me as I am or does he want me holy? And the answer is yes. He loves you as you are, but he loves you enough to want, not want to leave you that way. And that goes for all of us. Whether you struggle with pride, envy, slander, anger, there's a whole host of human issues. God loves us as we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us that way. And I share all this with you today man, from the deepest of my heart, I love you. I do. And I know that our culture would like to define love as tolerance, but God defines love as truth. And can I say, though, not just for truth's sake, because we mess up with that sometimes as believers. Love is truth because truth sets people free. It's not about the truth. It's about the freedom we're offered in Jesus. That's what it's really all about. Thomas Jefferson's principle of toleration was, so long as it neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg, I have no interest in opposing it. But can I tell you this morning, that's not love. That's not love. I look at the example of Jesus who both loved unconditionally and yet honestly challenged his followers with truth from the Father so that they could live free lives, fully alive lives in the kingdom of God. And it's in this manner I know we're called to love. That's what love is. Following our Creator's plan for sexuality, it allows us to enjoy stronger bonds in marriage. Avoid sexually transmitted diseases. Be more emotionally healthy and socially stable. Why wouldn't we choose this plan? Why wouldn't we choose it? The music team's gonna come and and we're gonna close. And and typically on a message, when I'm working through it, I, I try to share some points of application along the way, but I didn't feel like I needed to do that this morning. What I wanted to do is for you to hear it all. And what I want you to do today is craft your I will statement. That in response to this message, I will do what? Because I want to go back to that verse in Isaiah that Jesus was quoting from a passage this morning where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, he says. It's not real. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Can I tell you this morning, we do not want to substitute God's good plan for our own ways. It never works out for us. It doesn't work out well, at least. So my hope is this morning that we all choose differently this week. What's your high will statement in response to this message? Maybe some of you would say, in response to this message, I'm going to overcome my addiction to pornography. That's a good thing. And if you're not sure where to start with that, shoot me an email, and you'd say, wow, I don't want to do that. You know what scripture says? That if you reach out to another believer, shame is removed. Basically, you break the hold the enemy has on you. So we're happy to resource you on ways that you can find freedom with whatever you're dealing with this morning. So maybe that's the I will that you go after today. Some of you might want to respond in response to this message. message, I'll get married. That's awesome. I would encourage you to follow after that. So if you're living together and you, you think, well, I mean, we're thinking about marriage. Awesome. Let's just do that. There's a spot online today. We went ahead and put it on the homepage. It says, I want to get married. That's it. Like, what's a good I will statement? I will get married. Just do that today. Weddings don't have to cost anything. I've done weddings in the sanctuary, weddings in the Bethel Chapel, weddings in my backyard, weddings at somebody's lake house. Weddings can be cheap. That's not the point. But the point is, let's follow God's plan. His plan's always the best. Let's just do that. Let's follow God's best for our lives instead of making our own way. It's always better. So I'd encourage you, do that. And so if you fill that out today, you fill out that form, it'll go to my email and myself or one of the pastors will follow up with you. And say, why don't we look at this and how could we do this? Because you could always do a ceremony and then do like a big spiritual celebration months later. I've done that for people as well. Lots of ways to approach it, but here's the whole point let's follow God's plan. Let's just follow His plan. It's always better. It's always better. Some of you might respond by saying, I'll, I'll remain celibate as a single, either trusting God for marriage or by keeping me until the day I get to be with my heavenly bridegroom. That's a good application. And some might say in response to this message, I will give myself more fully to my spouse in the expression and understanding that it's my expression in a small way of how much God loves me, loves us. So lots of ways to respond to today's message. And to help inspire you toward that I will statement today, consider this. How much pain could you avoid by following God's plan? How much? How much happier could you be living committed, truly committed to your spouse in every way? How much more stability could you have if you had that healthy marriage? Lots of great opportunities there, but the question is, what are you going to choose to do? I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And I just want you to consider as we sing, what's your I will statement? How are you going to respond to today's message? How are you going to apply it to your life? There should be application for all of us in some way. But figure that out. So even as they're coming up and they're going to start playing, just pray, Holy Spirit, how should I respond? Because if you hear from God, you know He's going to work that into your life. And you'll be different because of it. You'll experience more joy and more happiness because you're following God's plan. And there's always joy and happiness there. Always. Let's go ahead and close in song.